Let's pray together. Father God, we're, we're here this morning, yes, for ourselves, but ultimately to glorify and honor your name by hearing what you have for us as your people, by coming under your word, under your authority. And so, Lord, as we do that today, would your spirit work among us, working in our hearts to guide us, to help us, to teach us what it looks like to groan and to cry and to look forward to a day when we won't experience that anymore. And so we entrust this time to you, and we ask that as we open your word, you would help us and guide us, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a a seat. Good morning again, and welcome to River City Church. My name is Charlie Hogstead, one of the elders here, and we're going to be studying Psalm 5 this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn there, we're continuing this summer series where we're looking at the Psalms, and what's great about the Psalms is we get insights into how God's people process life. We get them, we, we see them expressing their heart in ways that maybe we're not used to, but ways that are helpful for us. And we're going to see more of that today in Psalm chapter 5. And so as you turn there this morning, imagine with me for a moment that you leave the building today, or if you're watching at home, hello, welcome, you run some errands, you leave the house, you come back, and you see an eviction notice posted on your door. You're confused. You know you've made your payments on time. You don't know any issues with your bank, your landlord. But in that moment, amidst the confusion, a wave of sadness, despair, maybe even anger just washes over you. And as you think through why this is happening, you start to wonder, who's going to take me in? Who am I going to call? How am I going to move all my stuff so quickly and start over? So what do you think your immediate reaction would be if that's what you found later this morning? What would you do first? Who would be the first person you would, you would call? Where would you go? God's people, they've always had this sort of experience, moving around a lot, being unsettled, not having a home. They had a great place to stay in Egypt where they fled during a famine and they found a home. But eventually Pharaoh, he was threatened by this group of people that was growing and expanding and he didn't want them to influence his country and and what was going on there. He wanted to rule over them and so he enslaved them and he used them to build up his own empire. And this this took place over the course of over 400 years. But God, he was faithful He heard the cries of his people. He redeemed Israel from slavery. He removed them from slavery. But as they left, they groaned. They longed for what had been their home. They longed for familiarity. They longed for the food they ate. And they would have rather died in Egypt than died wandering around in the desert. So in light of this lack of faith, God had them wander wander around the desert for 40 years, waiting to find a place to call home. But after that 40 years, they entered the promised land. But again, they did not remain faithful to God. Eventually, they were torn apart by civil war with the north and the south. They were both eventually evicted and exiled from the land by God himself. And so Psalm 5, it was written by David. 
And this is a guy who experienced many of these same unsettled realities, but on a much more personal level. David came from humble beginnings. He was shepherding and he was chosen by God to be the next king over Israel. And so as, as that was taking place, he served under King Saul, who was threatened by David. And so Saul, on many occasions, he tried to just straight up kill David. Again, to remove the threat of somebody taking over his role as king. And so David, he was forced to flee. He lived in caves. But eventually Saul was killed in battle. And so David rose up to be king. But even then, even as the king of Israel, he faced enemies both inside of Israel and outside of Israel. And at one point, his own son rose up against him in rebellion. And so once again, David found himself unsettled, exiled, roaming around the countryside without a home, just trying to stay alive. So David lived an unsettled life on many fronts, but, da- but God used him very mightily to fight for and to defend his people, giving them a home in Jerusalem where God himself would dwell with his people. And so for us, as the people of God today, we also in many ways experience this perpetual exile, being unsettled and not feeling like this is our home. And this comes from the persecution and the injustice that we face because we're citizens of a completely different kingdom. We long for that safety and that security and for that eternal settlement that will be ours one day in the presence of God. But amidst this unsettled exile, we trust that Jesus Christ, he left his home. He came here to live with us. He was rejected by his own people, and in fact, they turned him over to the government where he was killed for our sin. And during his earthly existence, his 30-odd years of living here on this broken earth, he didn't have a place to lay his head. He died on the cross for the rebellious. He was forsaken by his father so that we could be brought near. And then he rose from the dead. He went back to his father, and now he's preparing to return to make earth his eternal home with us as his beloved people. And so by faith, today we live as exiles on this earth, and we trust that God is our protection, and we wait for that time when we are fully settled in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God. And so let's read Psalm 5 together and dive into what the Lord has for us this morning. To the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. 
Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels, because the abundance of their transgressions cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Amen. Kaylee gets to take that stuff and invent a language to make it understandable in C-A-R. Have fun. That's awesome. So we're going to break down this psalm into four areas of focus. And the first area we're going to consider is this. Expect God to listen and act. Expect God to listen and to act. And so King David, his earthly experience was full of ups and downs, many highs and many lows. Uh, King Saul, whom David respected as the man anointed and chosen by God as king, sought to kill him many times. And so David was forced to flee. He lived in caves. He had to hide from his persecutors. And again, David's son Absalom tried to overthrow him and become king in his place. Again, displacing David, forcing him to flee from Jerusalem. And so we don't necessarily know what led David to pour out his heart in this way, specifically in Psalm 5. But we do know that he lived this unsettled existence for most of his life. And so look at the first three verses of Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. So in the midst of his struggles, in the midst of the suffering that was brought upon him, whether it be for his own sin or the sin of others, he's going right to his king and his God, as we see in the middle of verse 2. Even as the hurt and the pain uh, are there, he, he takes them out of his heart, he takes them through a pen, and he puts them on paper. He is expressing this deep pain and hurt and suffering and affliction, and he's putting it before his king and his God. And so imagine you get home and you see that eviction notice on your door. Or you get that foreclosure letter uh, in the mail. Or the sheriff stops by your house with a letter saying you can't live here anymore. Despair and then anger and then confusion, they all wash over you in that moment. But as you collect yourself, as you start to gather your, your thoughts and your emotions, you realize something that's just crazy you realize that you have the direct phone number for the Oval Office. You can contact the most powerful and authoritative person in the whole land who can actually do something about your situation. You've got hope. You've got a place to go with this. You don't have to hold it all in here. But you can express it to somebody who actually has power and authority. And that's what David's doing right here. He's going right to his king and to his God. He's going to the, the, the one who has the power and authority to do something. And so how do you respond when you feel that insecurity, when you feel unsafe, when you feel vulnerable? What do you tend to do when being a citizen of the kingdom of God, it actually causes trouble with the people around you, as it did with David? Depending upon the day, I might distract myself with a book. Um, I might uh, find a show just to watch, just to turn off my brain. But ultimately, all it is is just me hiding from reality. I'm building walls. I'm trying to make myself forget all the things I want to forget. 
And so I'll pull away from people. I'll find excuses uh, not to go do things, hang out with people. I had a counseling appointment with my wife years ago, and my parents were on vacation. There's a tsunami about to hit where they were. I'm like, I can't come to this counseling appointment because my parents might get hit with tsunami. Like I was just inventing excuses to get me out of going and addressing uh, the things I didn't want to address. How do you respond when you feel unsafe, insecure, vulnerable? On the flip side of that, I might just try to fix the situation. I might go into overdrive. I might just do anything and everything in my power and control to improve my situation, to change my circumstance. But what do you do when you feel threatened? When you feel vulnerable for being a, a citizen of God's kingdom? And David here, he doesn't respond uh, like I would. What he does, as we see in verse 3, is in the morning, first thing, first thing, in the morning, he trusts that the Lord is hearing him. And in the morning, he prepares a sacrifice and he watches. And if you look at the notes at the bottom of your page, he directs his prayer to God and he watches. And so he's not shutting down like me. He's not building up walls. He's not running away from reality. He's not trying to fix his situation. He's not trying to change it necessarily. But here, first thing, first thing, he's acting in faith. He's trusting that only God can truly help. And so he directs his prayer to God, and he waits, and he watches. Do you feel a little uncomfortable with that? Can we do that? Can we wait? Can you wait for God? That is not easy. His timeline is not usually our timeline. Mine usually is much more accelerated when it comes to feeling vulnerable, feeling unsafe. But God's people, God's people are always waiting for something. Always. Israel waited for God to act in Egypt. They waited for God to, to bring them out of slavery. They waited to enter the promised land. They waited for God to, to bring them back when they were exiled. They waited, and they waited for the Messiah, for the Savior to come. And so, waiting is just something that we do. Watching God act is something that is part of living by faith. It's not easy. In the midst of that, we groan like David. We cry like David. We watch like David. But what does watching look like for you? What are you holding inside that needs to come out? First to God. Second to somebody you trust. What do you need to express from your heart, being honest with yourself, being honest with God, when you're feeling that unsettled and unsafe feeling? We can trust that God already knows, right? He knows our hearts better than we do. This is us agreeing with God that we need him to do something. This is us watching and waiting for him. And that's part of living by faith. We, we put what's in here, we put it back on him. And that's what it means to trust him, to exercise faith in him. We go to the one who can do something about our persecution. We go to the one who can do something about the injustice that we face as the people of God. We watch. But the psalm continues to show us what this actually looks like in practice. So the second thing we'll focus on this morning, we remember and we recite truths about God. We remember and we recite truths about God. Look at verses 4 through 6. 
David's reminding himself. And this is a psalm that, that was written and was used by the people of God. They sang it apparently with flutes. So this is something all of God's people would meditate on. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful, they won't stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy liars. You abhor bloodthirsty and deceitful men. And so David, he experienced this wickedness and this evil of the bloodthirsty and deceitful men who perpetually sought his life, who always were trying to unseat him, to separate him from God. But he trusted that his God and his king was holy, that justice would be served amidst the injustice that David was facing. And so as he was evicted from his home, as he was kicked out, as he fled, as he was persecuted by his own son or by his own king, David looked to his God who is holy, who is set apart, who is just. So those who persecute, those who harass, those who hurt the people of God, we can know, and David wants the people of God to trust that they will not get off the hook. Because God, he does not delight in wickedness. Even when he allows it to happen in the life of his people. Evil may not dwell with him, even when it's all around us, all the time. Those who shed blood and those who deceive, they will be destroyed. And so David, he's holding on to those truths as he waits and as he watches. And this is something that we get to, again, sing together. This is something that we get to celebrate and remind ourselves of, that God is holy and that God is just and the things that happen to us that are unjust. It's not like he isn't paying attention. It's not like he forgot. It's not like he's distant, but he's right there with us. And he's teaching us what it means to exercise faith in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of the injustice that we face. And again, they use flutes, so maybe, I don't know, maybe it's an upbeat kind of song. Maybe I've, we've never had a flute here. I love how that just pointed out with flutes. So God's people, we wait, we watch, we remember, and we recite truths about God, about his holiness, about his justice, even if it seems like these elements of his character are not being expressed in the moment. As we, as we call out to God with our complaint, as we put our cry and our groaning in front of him, we share these cries and groaning with, with the one who can actually do something about it. And we're reminding ourselves that this is a God who does not put up with injustice, who does not overlook the persecution of his people. God, we're telling ourselves, you hate the wickedness that I'm experiencing. The evil that's happening to me cannot be in your presence. You are holy and you are set apart. You're high above all of this. We recite those truths together. And that though his justice might seem absent for the time being, there's going to be a day where justice will be served and the evil will be repaid for their sin against God and against his people. And so do we hear the cries for justice that are going on all around us today? Does it surprise us that this longing for justice is all around us? Do we hear all the laments of those who have been oppressed and hurt without cause? We should be paying attention. We should be listening because if anybody can relate to that, it should be the people of God 
It was merely affiliation with the God of Israel that brought about the wrath of the nations upon Israel. It was the growing number of God expanding his people in Egypt that threatened the Pharaoh and caused him to kick him out. And us, today, as we align ourselves with Jesus Christ by faith, we're declaring ourselves as citizens of his kingdom. And as we declare ourselves in that way, as we, as we confess we are children of the living God, there's always going to be people that want to evict us and hurt us. There's injustice all around us here in America, and in a broken and sinful world, we shouldn't be surprised that that's the case. We shouldn't be surprised when true justice is hard to come by. But at the same time, we look to our God who is just and who is holy, just as David did. And as the church of God, we know that there's unjust persecution of the church going on all day, every day across the world that we just don't hear about as often. There are brothers and sisters right now who are being hurt and killed simply because they are affiliated with the king of all creation and they're citizens of the kingdom of God. And so what do we do when that comes to our shores? When those who hate God and who hate his people, when they really ramp it up around here? History shows that it's going to happen. And some of you might be facing that in ways right now that maybe you haven't told anybody about. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a roommate. But as we affiliate with the God of the universe who, who runs a totally different kingdom, people on the outside of that are going to see it and they're not going to like it. And that's our existence, just like it was David, just like it was Israel's. And so we do what David did. We remember and we recite together truths about God's holiness, about his justice. And then the next thing we do, the next focus from Psalm 5 is we remember and we recite truths about who we are. We remember and we recite truths about who we are. And so we're going to look at 7 through 10 here. So in the midst of all these groanings and all these cries, as David waited and watched for his king and his God to act, David reminds himself of something pretty amazing, which I hope we don't overlook, and I'm going to do my best to make sure we don't. Because God, David's saying, you have a steady and steadfast love for me, in verse 7, I will enter your house. So think about how that little phrase there, how personal and how encouraging that would have been to David. I will enter your house. A man who experienced the highs of worship, he experienced the glory of victory in battle, but also the lows of betrayal and the realities of life on the run. I will enter your house. Let that soak for a bit. Imagine being kicked out of your house, being forcibly removed, crying out, calling for help, trusting the one to whom you're, you're crying that he can do something about it, and then trusting that no matter what happens to you, in the moments of head, uh, ahead, you have a home. I will enter your house. I will be in your presence. I will be with you. You will be close to me. 
You will protect me. You will preserve me. I will not be exposed. I'm not going to be left out in the cold. I'm vulnerable now. I'm on the run now. I don't have a home now, but I will enter your house. You might be distant now, but I will enter your house. I may not have a bed on which to lay my head, but I will enter your house. My enemies may be closing in, but I will enter your house. Not only can I call you directly, and that you're going to pay attention, and that you care about what I'm going through, and you're the only one who can do anything about it, but this story ends with me living with you forever and ever. I will enter your house. He says he's going to bow down toward the temple in the fear of his God. In verse 7. The enemies of God, they don't fear him. They don't respect him. They don't revere him. But David does. As he prays and as he waits, he does so with this reverence for God that fosters trust. God will do what he says he'll do. And in the midst of that, as I wait, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to trust him. David's asking in verse 8, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. His enemies are trying to destroy him, to unseat him, to exile him, to tear him away from his God. But David remembered that because of God's steadfast love, that can't happen. That cannot happen. And so we, we respect and we revere God. And we ask him to lead us in his ways, despite our enemies, despite everything going on around us that seeks to draw us away from God, to unseat us, to unsettle us, to cause doubt. I will enter your house. How powerful is that little phrase for David? And how important is that for us? Now look at verses 9 and 10. David fears God, but his enemies do not. They are liars whose words are dead. They flatter. And all this is because their inmost self is destruction. And so, naturally, they destroy. So David calls on God in verse 10, make them bear their guilt, O God, because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out. I will enter your house, but cast them out. Check out the reality there of being a rebellious individual in the face of a holy and righteous God and standing before him. Because God is holy and just, they will be cast out. There's a contrast there between those who fear God and those who cry out to him versus those who do not fear God and who persecute his people. David is going to enter the house of God only because of God's steadfast love. But because of the abundance of transgression, the enemies of God, they're going to be cast out of his presence. They've rebelled, and therefore they cannot dwell with him. And so we hate injustice. We hate being punished and penalized for things that are out of our control, for things that are of no fault of our own. George Floyd's death was wrong, and it was terrible. It was extremely tragic. But it's brought out again this hatred of injustice and this desire for for true and full justice to be experienced. 
Again, we can relate to that because the people of God have always experienced and fought for those things. They've always felt the same way. And as the people of God, we are called here by David to remember who God is, to remember who we are. And together we recite those things over and over again. And as God's people, we will enter his house. And those who rebel against him and transgress his laws abundantly, they're going to be cast out. They're going to be evicted. They will be removed from his presence. And so do we want justice? Yes, absolutely. Is God just? Yes, absolutely. And as the people of God, we can and we should empathize with those who have those same desires. And we should point them to events that took place about 2,000 years ago on the outskirts of a Middle Eastern city where there was rioting and where there was civil unrest and where the greatest injustice the world has ever seen took place. And so the last thing we're focused on is this. Rejoice and exalt in God. Rejoice and exalt in God. So as David, he brings this psalm to a close, he's calling the people who will enter the house of God, who revere God, to rejoice. For those who take refuge in God, we are to sing for joy because we are protected. So to take refuge in God, as it says in 11, it means to trust him as injustice and persecution abound, when our earthly circumstances are not what we would choose for ourselves. Despite what's going on around us, we trust God, we remember who he is, we remember who we are, we pray, we wait, we watch, and that's what it means to take refuge in God. And you can know that you've taken refuge in God when you're rejoicing, when you sing for joy even though it makes no sense looking at what's going on in and around you, when everything that you're experiencing should be causing despair and lament. And so by the time David was king over Israel, they, were, they had history. This was a nation that had been around for a while and had made its footprint in the world, and they could consistently see the faithfulness and steadfast love of God over and over again, from which they could, David could write this. And they would know what he was saying. How can we take refuge in God? How do we trust him amidst injustice and persecution? We look back at what he has done. It started with this guy, Abraham, whom God chose to bless and to use as a starting point for this covenant people that would just start as a small seed and then grow and expand to the point it can't even be counted. They could go back to God, bringing them out of Egypt. They, they lived there. They grew there. They were enslaved there, but God, he, he redeemed them. He removed them, and he brought them into the promised land. He gave them a home. He was their ruler. He provided for them. He protected them. So God's people, at the time of David, they could see this consistent pattern of grace and love and protection and provision, despite the fact that they did not remain faithful to God. So they would know what it meant to trust God when their circumstances were not what they would have chosen. And so David's calling us, as well as the people of God, to trust God, to rejoice in his protection, to exalt in him. So to exalt means just to speak in a way that praises God's name. To talk about him in such a way that expresses thankfulness and joy 
in a God who uh, is faithful to what he has promised. Again, exalting is just simply talking, expressing your thankfulness and joy about God. It's like you see that eviction notice, you call the Oval Office, you trust that somebody on the other end is going to help you out. You wait for them to act, and then as, as you wait, you express a joy and a thankfulness for what will be done. And so David says that the Lord, he blesses the righteous. In verse 12. That he covers him with favor as with a shield. So those who are right in the eyes of God, they're going to be cared for. They're going to be protected. His favor and his love is like a shield that protects you from the harmful elements of God's enemies. If God is for you, who can be against you? If the God of all creation is for you, who can take you away from him? We hear Jesus' voice and we follow him. Nothing can remove us from God's hand. We trust that and we rejoice in that protection that is ours simply by faith. Not because we're awesome, not because we're holy and righteous, but because we trust. God's people, they could look back. They could see a lot of God's faithfulness. They could see a pattern of grace and love and protection. But they could also look forward too. They looked forward to a future in a time when perfect justice would be experienced in the presence of God. And they were to be a joyful people. They were to be exalting in God as they waited for him to act. And we're in the same boat. We look back. We look back on the acts of God's faithfulness upon which we draw our faith. David is what we call a type of Christ. Somebody who came before Jesus and who displayed certain parts of Jesus' character who exhibited certain ways in which the Messiah or the Savior would act, David points us to Christ. And so as those who sang this psalm, flutes and all, we, they would look to David. We look to Christ. So Jesus, he left the presence of his Father. John chapter 1 says he, he tabernacled with us, he lived with us. The very presence of God here in the world, filled with sin and brokenness and injustice and persecution. And in his ministry, in Matthew 8, he has a little interaction with a scribe. And the scribe said to Jesus, dude, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus responded, the foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man, he has nowhere to lay his head. Not only did he leave his father, but he walked on this place, uh, on this earth, without a place to lay his head. Not only that, he went to the cross, and it was there where justice was fully served for our sin. The penalty and the punishment that we deserved for our evil and for our wickedness, for the abundance of our transgressions, it was paid in full in those moments. Did Jesus deserve this? Did Jesus deserve what he got? Absolutely not. He was tempted in every way. He knows what it's like to be tempted to sin, to to be tempted to abundantly transgress, as David would say. But in all that, he did not sin. Isaiah 53, he'd done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. And yet, he went to the cross for the rebellious. He was handed over to the Roman authorities by his own people, by the way, 
They betrayed him. He, the, the, Jesus came to save Israel, and they handed him over. They were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. They gave him over to the, go, the governmental authorities and said, you take care of this. And so he was unjustly whipped and beaten and then crucified by the Roman government. And as he hung on that cross, he gasped for air. That's the worst part about the cross. Sure, the nail's going through like your funny bone in your wrists. Pretty terrible. But what that does is you can't lift yourself up to breathe. Your diaphragm gets stuck. Every time you pull yourself up, excruciating pain like getting your, your funny bone shot over and over again. And he was up there for hours, naked, outside the city gates where people were coming in and coming out of the city, or com- going in and coming out. And on that cross, he suffered for our sin. But the physical effects aside, as bad as they were, on the cross, he was forsaken by his father. My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? He cries out. He was treated like one who deserved to be cast out. He was treated like one who rebelled and who transgressed abundantly. And in that, he bore the guilt for us. And in that, he was cast out so we could be brought in The only reason we can say that we can enter the house of God is because Jesus was cast out. And so for us, looking back, taking refuge means that we trust these things. We trust that these things actually happened. And that because of Jesus' life and because of his death and because of his resurrection, by faith in those things, that's the means by which we enter the house of God by faith and faith alone, by grace and grace alone, by Christ and Christ alone. It's like the President of the United States saying in the face of our eviction, I tell you what, kick me out. You come and live here and I'll take the penalty for you. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue would be quite an interesting place to live, but I can say with confidence that as God's people, we have something much better to look forward to than that. As God's people, we will enter his house. We face injustice, we face persecution now, and it will come. But looking back on all these examples of God's faithfulness means that we can look forward to the time where he will continue to be faithful well into the future. And thankfully, God's word paints a picture for us of that. We will dwell with him in the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, where peace and justice reign because the God of peace and justice reigns there. For now, we exalt, as David said. We rejoice, we sing for joy. And in that, as people long for justice, as they lament injustice, let's talk about our God in such a way where they see that he knows what that experience is like very personally, even better than they can imagine. Who do you know in your life who longs for justice? What steps are you taking to better understand their experience of injustice and how it's impacted their lives? This is a time where we can listen and we can learn. And when when it comes time for us to open our mouths, we can express thankfulness and joy for what Jesus has done for rebellious people like us. That's how we take refuge in God. That's how we exalt in God. And we trust that he's going to protect us amidst the injustice and the persecution that inevitably comes whenever people start talking about Jesus and the gospel. 
There's no more offensive message in the world than you can't save yourself. So what does taking refuge in God look like for you in this season? When you feel exposed, when you feel vulnerable, what would it look like to experience joy amidst that? How does looking forward to that day when we're in the very presence of God, the new Jerusalem, where there is no sin, there is no injustice, where we experience eternal peace that we all desire so greatly, how does that help you in these moments here this morning? So let us consider these things this week together as the people of God. As Marty said, join a community group. This is a great place for us to exalt and express our joy and thankfulness to God with other people. Because the act of opening your mouth and talking about these things, like it can be scary. But we get to do that with one another. We get to bring our laments, our groaning, our cries to God and to one another, and we get to go to the throne of grace for help in time of need. So let's talk, think about and let's pray about what that means for us this week. Let's pray. Father God, <clears throat> we come to you with nothing but our sin and, Father, a desire to know you and to be close to you, to be washed clean, to be forgiven, to experience peace. We know that you are a God who, who does not put up with injustice, that you know when your people are hurting and being persecuted because they're yours. Those who hated Jesus, they're going to hate us too. So, Father, we look to your Son who did no violence, who never lied, but who always obeyed, who always worshiped perfectly, Lord. We look to him as the one who lived for us, as the one who died for us, as the one who rose again for us, the one who's going to return for us, Lord God. And we wait. We watch. Help us to direct our prayers to you this week, no matter what they might be. When we trust because of the abundance of your steadfast love, we will enter your house. Give us that faith and give us that hope today in Jesus' name. Amen.